Well, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, please. And as you're looking there, thank you, uh, Nate and Johnny and Portico, for allowing me, giving me the privilege to minister to you this weekend and to you this morning in the 11 o'clock service as well. And we're just so thrilled about what God is doing. And as Nate mentioned, I have gone through quite a bit. Um, And, you know, it was... I mean, there are podcasts, let me just put it this way, there are podcasts made from the churches that I've been a part of, and they're not good podcasts. Uh, they're podcasts that describe the rise and fall of a ministry, and yet we persevered because we saw at Emmanuel Church what leadership could actually be, actually experienced it. Our lead pastor said when he came to the church for the first time as a member, as just an attender, actually, that it took him a year before he actually he felt like he was a believer. He felt grace. And he had never experienced that before. He was a believer, but he'd never experienced grace inside of a church. And so uh, the, the Lord led me to put together uh, a resource for this, and if you're interested, we, there's copies in the, the hallway <laughs> near the coffee. Um, and it's a gospel-shaped leader. And this is really basically saying this is how a church could, could actually function and be walking through with all of the, the aspects. So I'm not trying to peddle books, but um, that's what it is. So we look at now Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, let us also run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Well, several new words in the last couple of years have surfaced. Words like, well, help me what these words are like. Exvangelical. What? Former evangelicals who now have left the faith. Deconstruction. There's deconstruction in our world. It influences into our evangelical church as well, uh, approaching to politics, human sexuality, gender, biblical interpretation, racial injustice. All of that deconstruction has taken place and people are questioning now the local church. There's an organization called uh, Church Too, which is uh, a mirrored image of Me Too, which is uh, the abuse of men to women in the in society, and now church too is identifying sexual abuse, unreported sexual abuse typically that might happen in a local church. And a lot of it is good stuff, not all of it. Christian nationalism is predominant. You're aware of that. I think you're aware of that. That it becomes our faith and our politics become 
intertwined to such a degree we can't distinguish between the two. That the kingdom of God is actually dependent upon a human government. Well, that's not what we're counting on. So what do we do? We look at this and we say, what, what are we going to do with this? What do we do? Do we just quit? We give up on the local church? A lot of, there's books out that says, um, I love Jesus, but not his church. If we love Jesus, we love his church. It's his bride. He's called us. So, so what does that leave us? Well, we're going to find out in this passage in Hebrews 12 what it means. And so he pictures a race. There's this race uh, that takes place. And God has a race for us to run. Now, and for Portico Church here in Arlington, it is uniting people to life in Christ. And we do that by being gospel-centered, making disciples, equipping leaders, uh, encouraging believers, and planting churches. That's what it means for this church, to unite together as one. And those aren't easy. It's not meant to be easy. A race is not easy. And he's called us to this race. But he didn't call us on our own. Well, this book of Hebrews was written to Christians in the first century. They were weak. They were failing. They were discouraged. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 12, it says that they had weak knees and drooping hands. You ever felt like that? Weak knees and drooping hands. I feel like that every morning. <laughs> and in our faith, we at times feel this weak knees and drooping hands. And he's saying, don't quit. I got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you what it is. And so let's see what Hebrews 12 tells us. Doesn't say to quit. It says, don't quit. Keep going. Keep persevering. Keep pressing on. Don't look at all of the things around us. Let's get the, let's get the lay now. And I have six reasons why we don't quit. Normally, six is not a good number to have. But we're going to rapid fire this coming right out of the text. So, number one, so many others endured by faith. There's so many others before us that have endured by faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So, chapter 11, the author walks us through this biblical hall of faith. And we see Abraham and Sarah and Moses and others who by faith believed God and lived for him and endured. In, in a great way. And what does it mean to live by faith? You think of that, what does that mean? We're living by faith? Faith is absolute belief in the one who is all-powerful. This is his domain, his kingdom. He, it, when, when I say his kingdom, he is the king. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And we're invited into this. What makes, this, what makes any race worth, living, worth pursuing? Any race, it's the prize at the end. It's the prize. It's the trophy. It's the medal. It's standing on the podium and saying, I competed at a high level and we won. And in the Christian faith, there's a prize. He's given it to us eternity. And so waiting for us, it is sure, it is powerful. It is ours that he is giving to us. And so faith is living today, right now, 
as if tomorrow is already assured because it is. Tomorrow is assured. We are going to be in eternity with, with Christ forever. That's our home. That's our focus. That's where we're looking. And we're living today, right now, like that's a, a reality. And so your happiness doesn't concern today on the present circumstances. Things aren't always great where we are. But your happiness isn't dependent upon that. It's in things not yet seen. I was in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma in the middle of July one time. It was 115 degrees and about 182% humidity. It was hot. And they asked me, I was doing the teaching and training, and they said, are you, are you okay in this heat? And I said, I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing wonderful? And they said, because this isn't my home. <laughs> I don't live in Oklahoma City. And right now, I was living in Seattle, Washington. I said, let me pull it up. It's 59 degrees. <laughs> and that's what we have to look at. Our present circumstances may feel hot and muggy and sticky and ugly and dreary and whatever else. This isn't our home. That's why we can rejoice. This isn't our home right here. Those that complain, and there are many of them, those that complain and are worried about today and what's taken place and they're so concerned are people who, this is their only home. This is their only hope. Therefore, if this is their only hope, they're going to try to make the best out of it. And I think we should make the best out of it, but I'm not resting in it. I'm resting in the future is mine. And there's a greater. And eternity, that's a long time. So as believers, we get to endure this because our faith isn't in our present circumstance. The economy is not so hot right now. Politics, never been so hot. I don't care. That's not my king. That's not my kingdom. That's not my economy. My economy, my kingdom, is rests in Christ. So that assures us we can rest in faith. Others have gone before us and they're running and we can be accomplished. And yesterday I went to the Museum of the Bible and I, two things came out of this as I walked through every single floor. Number one, the Bible is a very important book. Nothing has lasted. And there's nothing like this. Number two, the words in this book are so important that people have died for it, shed their blood. People like William Tyndale, who was burned at the stake as a result of bringing this word of God into the English language. They gave their life for it. It's important. Tyndale is an inspiration. Others like him. My parents are in their 90s. I think we've got a picture of them. Uh, my dad turns 93 this summer. They live alone. Uh, been married for 71 
years. You got to start early and endure to make it to 70 years. But they, they just celebrated 71 years. I asked him, I said, so what did you do? What exciting thing did you do on your anniversary? And she said, we stayed home. And I go, that's what you did last anniversary. Yes, at our age, that's what you do. But this was this last summer, and they, they endured. And so some of us think, oh, I've been married seven months, or seven years, or 17, or I've been married 41 years this summer. I'll be 41 years, and I'm just getting started. And she reminds me of that every time I tell her. We're celebrating our 41st, we're 71. Shut up. Um, it, but, but the inspiration I get from them is they have done it. They've gone before. They're, they're in the hall of fame when it comes to their marriage. And Hebrews 11 gives us a hall of faith of people who've done it as well. They've given us inspiration. So this is human. We have a greater humans as well that have gone through the areas of faith that are really important to us in our life. So we don't quit because we endure by faith and we have these examples before us who've gone before. Second, we can lay aside every weight and clinging sin. The passage says, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. And when runners get ready for a race, they take off everything that is going to slow them down. If at the Olympics, the 100 meter, you'd see somebody who has got a down jacket on and big old boots on, and they're lining up, and you're going like, I'm not betting for that one, because they're going to be slow. And yet, that's what he says in the Christian life. We, we take off what is holding us back. And it says that the weight and sin which clings so easily. So faith doesn't say, how much can I hang on to? Faith says, how much can I exercise and move and have freedom and go forward? This Lord, the Lord is calling each one of us, I think, by faith to let go of something. I don't know what it is. I think I know what it is with me. And I want to run this race without the weight on me. I've got to set it aside. And so those, those weights can be innocent things that just kind of hang on to us. But then he says, and the sins that affect us, they slow us down. Sin infects us from within, where the weights come from outside. Uh, they can be simple things like we're, we're working too hard, we are around the wrong people, we're whatever. Those outside weights are taking place. We put priorities on other things that aren't eternal. Then sin is our disease from inside. And think of this runner. This runner standing there, got this down jacket, big old heavy boots on long pants, uh, and he's getting ready to, maybe a scarf around his neck, like Bernie Sanders uh, looking thing, and he's getting ready to run, and also this runner has disease from within, 
how fast is that runner going to run? And yet that's what we look like at times. When we're trying to set up to have this faith, we allow the outside weights of our life and the inner sin to affect us. It says it clings so easily. The, the sin clings to us easily. My son was going to go on a, a prom at his school, and he picked up a, a female classmate. She, before she got into my Jeep, she put on glitter. Sin clings so easily, so does glitter. <laughs> I never, I came in, got my truck the next day and looked at it and said, what is all of this? What is going on? I asked my son. She wore glitter. And it was all over the passenger seat. I never got rid of it. I sold it. I, got, I put extra money. I said uh, accessorized. That was what I put in the advertisement to get a little extra money. It was, it was the glitter that was in there. Never got rid of it. Only Jesus can remove that clinging sin in our life. He can remove it. And we can't quit because we can lay aside the weight outer and the sin inner that happens in our life. Third, we can run this race with endurance. He said, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. And these words, let us run, are the centerpiece of this passage right here. Everything else hangs on to let us run. What is this causing us to? Let us run. So let's see what this purpose is right here. Others have gone before us. Now it's our turn. Others have run. Where this physical church came from has passed along three different churches. People have labored and they've poured into and they've sacrificed. And now it's your turn. You get to use this and steward this for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And so let us run. Find your cause. Find your cause for Christ and get running it with the passion that only God can give to you. And you don't have to be superhuman. You just need to be putting one foot in front of the other, going forward. And that's why the word endurance is here. It's just taking that step, take another step, keep going. Keep going. Keep pushing forward. You don't have to do it perfectly. The only fatal mistake that we can make is quitting. That's it. So find the race God is calling you to and start running. Just run with passion. So we can't quit because this race with endurance, he has something for us. Fourth, we can look to Jesus, the starter and completer of our faith. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Spurgeon said that this word looking to is much fuller word than we find in the English language. It has a preposition that says, basically, look away from everything as you look to Jesus. It's, it's like a young man who would... Uh, ask some woman to be his uh, fiance, and he'll kneel down on one knee in, uh, in dramatic form and offer her a ring. And she takes it, but when she takes it, she's saying to him, whether she says it with her words, she means it. You are to look away from every other 
female and look only to me. She may not have told you that, but that's what she meant. When she said yes, it, in, it includes all of that. And when you say yes to Jesus, it includes looking away from all other things. And it says looking unto Jesus, the perfecter, the beginner of our faith. Look to him. Look to him. Listen, we're going to look. We're going to see things. We're going to aspire for this. We want importance. We want satisfaction. We want all of this in our life. I, we get it. But he says this. The word here is in the, the way that the Greek puts it together. is keep on looking. Away from them, keep on looking towards Jesus. That's what he's telling us. Because you're going to need it every day. It isn't just a one-time glance. It isn't the guy that said uh, at his wedding, I love you. And never said it again. He says it over and over and over again. We want to look to Jesus over and over again. Keep looking towards him. We're going to endure. In 1954, this is before my, my time. Not much before my time, but before my time. 1954, there was this great race that took place between two mile runners, Roger Bannister, John Lundy. Roger was an Englishman, Lundy was Australian. And they were trying to break the four minute mile. Trying to get under four minutes, it seemed to be unattainable, this number. And Bannister, who became a physician, didn't believe it. And he kept pushing for it. And the Australian did as well. They came together in one meet to run, and it was called the Miracle Mile. You can look it up on YouTube. And they begin running, and the Australian takes off ahead for three laps. He is ahead. There are several of the runners, of course. But first place is the Australian. Second place is the English, Roger Bannister. And they're running around, and for three laps... The Australian led until finally, toward the end of the fourth lap, Roger Bannister gets up closer and closer and closer. And at that moment, as they're coming around the curve as it goes this way, the Australian's running and senses Bannister and looks this way, and Roger turned and ran past him. People say, he was looking away. It was a fatal mistake that took place when he looked away. He looked the wrong direction. Roger passed him, and he broke the four-minute mile. Now it's 3.43, I think, is the, the world record. But that was when they, they broke that four-minute mile. 3.58.8 was the race. Now, what happened? John Landy looked away. If he'd kept his eyes on the prize, kept going, maybe he would have won. But he looked away. We look away. Look unto Jesus. Other things aren't worth it. Looking unto Jesus. Keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We'll go the distance. Everything else is going to be debilitating. Keep looking to him. 
strive for him going forward. So let's don't quit. Jesus is in this race with us. Fifth, Jesus endured our shame with joy. Who for the joy set before him endured a cross despising the shame. Uh, Jesus had to live by faith as well. It came in human form. He didn't give his human nature a free ride. And he, he ran this race the same way we do, by looking beyond the pain of the moment and into the joy of the future. Who for the joy set before him endured a cross. What did he see in the future? He saw, he saw us perfected with him in eternity. He saw us. He, and for him, this was no meager joy. This was, this was happy. He endured the agony of a crucifixion. We could not be more loved by a Savior who for the joy set before him endured a cross. When he was whipped, when the nails were pounded into his hands, when the crown of thorns was driven to his scalp, he was thinking about not the pain he was experiencing, but the accomplishment that it would do. That brought him joy. And he stayed focused, and he kept his eyes on this, this joy set before him. Think of it. Think of it. It's the joy set before him. In some weird way, it, it thinks of like, you know, when a, a woman gives birth to a child, there's, I'm told, there's pain. But for the joy set before her, she endures this pain for this beautiful life. And in a similar way, Jesus said, here's a new life I am giving you. I'm giving you a second birth, an opportunity for a second birth. And so you endure the trouble, the pain, the trial, the trauma, the agony of your life. For the joy set before you, we can endure this because our Savior endured a cross for us. Again, it's not here we're focused on. It's this future. It's where he's taking us. And that even in the midst of trouble and trial and problems, you can say, my grace is sufficient for me. Paul asked three times, Lord, I got, I got this infliction on my life. And the Lord said three times, no, not taking it away. And Paul said, but my grace from the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to keep on going. And he's offering that to us as well. Keep going. Don't quit. It's a, filled with joy. And Jesus understands what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He's endured it himself. And he's asking you. Trust me. Finally, number six, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus completed his race and he sat in the place of authority. He sat in the place of the conquering king who rules 
over all of mankind. When, when we were young, my mother, who you saw a picture of her, um, she wasn't always standing there with a smile. If we were sitting down, she would come in and say, is your work done? She talked like that too. Real gruff. <laughs> she didn't really. Um, she, is your work done? And we'd say, yes. Even if it wasn't. Yes, it better be. In other words, in her mind, you don't sit down until all the work's done. And Jesus didn't sit down until all the work was done. He completed it. He finished it. He, he said that on the cross. It is finished. That word means it's paid in full. I've completed it. And he bowed his head. He gave his life for you and me. He, then he, he was ascended. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in authority over us. The job is done. Now he's just awaiting. You complete your race. Keep going. Don't quit. He's calling you to do that. Follow him. It's so worth it. We can't quit now. Portico, run as one body in support of each other. And for the joy set before you, he'll help you accomplish that race which he has set out for all of you to accomplish. So, Father, we thank you for your word and for the joy you give us in the midst of all the things that we, we experience. Not always easy, but always with you. So we thank you. May we not be quitters, but believers in you endure to the end the joy set before us. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.